Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I think all of us who do the kind of work that I do, but the, you know, the whole team that is working this campaign do have a real responsibility um, to get it right and to deliver on the things that will make people's lives better because for so long the political class in the city has not. Hi everybody, I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is Emma Tai, former executive director of United Working Families turned architect of the field operation that played a major role in the election of Brandon Johnson as mayor of Chicago. Emma, thanks for joining us and happy new year. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me. You are now quarterbacking the effort to bring Chicago home. That is to convince Chicago voters to approve a binding referendum on the March 19th ballot, authorizing the city council to quadruple the real estate transfer tax on transactions over a million and a half dollars, triple the tax on property sales over $1 million and cut the tax below $1 million to generate $100 million in annual funding to combat homelessness. What lessons did you learn from helping to elect Brandon Johnson and helping him rise from single-digit obscurity to mayor of Chicago to, that you plan to use now in this campaign? That's a great question. I mean, I think that one of the main reasons that I do the work that I do, and, you know, it's not all about me. It's about, there's many people who do the work that I do as well, um, is that I've always been really animated by the idea that the people of Chicago um, want and deserve something better from politics, that people can and should have higher expectations, but it's been a project of our political opponents to settle. Right. And that when you can offer a real political alternative that promises fully funded communities, public schools, housing, taxing the rich, good jobs, that people will choose that. Right. It's just that most of the lived experience in Chicago politics or politics anywhere in the country is that those things aren't even realistic to hope for. And so part of the project that, you know, I and many other people were part of for many years was about trying to prove that you could win those sorts of things via politics um, and by all of us doing work together to produce different outcomes. So I think that part of this, you know, and Bring Chicago Home is an extension of of the electoral campaigns of 2023 and the years prior um, to continue showing that a different future is possible, that we don't have to accept closed schools and sub-minimum wage um, and tens of thousands of homeless children 
in our city, one of the richest cities in the history of the world that we can and could do better with the right sort of leadership and the right sort of work from the folks on the ground. And I think that, you know, in the 2023 municipal cycle, one of the things that felt really exciting about that was that it was such a clear, it was such a clear choice. You know, as we go into this phase with Frank Chicago Home, I've been thinking a lot about that picture that was making the rounds of it was, you know, renters had signs for Brandon Johnson in the window and landlords had signs for Paul Ballas on the front lawn of the building. <laughs> this was like a very clear, very stark choice once again. And I think that the lessons of 2023 is that, you know, with the right kind of organizing forward operation, telling the story about what are the choices and what do we need and deserve, people, a majority of people are with us. What is your game plan? Will you marshal another field army that will be knocking on doors? Will be using, will you use direct mail and social media? Will you be running radio and TV and internet ads or all of the above? Oh, all of the above, for sure. I mean, elections in Chicago are a serious business. They require both serious money and serious um, and serious field game or serious field operation. And so we plan to do all of the above. But again, I think what we saw in the spring of 2023 is that, you know, with a really robust organizing grassroots operation, we were able to overcome a nearly two to one spending disadvantage. Um, and so plan to apply the lessons from that cycle in this campaign as well. So what is the budget for this effort and how many troops will you have on the ground? Well, I don't want to reveal everything, Fran. <laughs> um, I will well, say why that, not? That's you know, the whole point. Look, <laughs> to, to be here and tell me what your game plan is. I mean, how are you going to do this? I mean, I think that if you saw our, we just um, filed our quarterly report um, where we had, um, I think about $750,000, we ended up closing the year with about $750,000 in the bank. So we are raising, we're raising aggressively. I will say that I anticipate this being a multi-million dollar effort and um, that will involve knocking on hundreds of thousands of doors and making almost a million phone calls and text messages. And what will be your elevator pitch? That is the quick argument that you, you will use with voters who may be short on time or have short attention spans to convince them to support this tax and go to the polls to put it in, in place. Well, you know, the first thing I'll say, I, I'm going to share that, and I'll share that in one minute, but the first thing I'll say is that, you know, we've already knocked on over 20,000 doors, and um, one thing that I'll say is that as, when we have conversations, like, yes, there is a need for an elevator pitch and for um, a quick sort of conversation about what this is, but I will say that it is extremely popular. You know, we are seeing sort of over 80% of people we talk to come back strongly in support. So yes, it's a lot of language on the ballot initiative. And yes, there's a lot of misinformation out there about that. And when we actually have conversations with people, an overwhelming majority of folks break for us. Like I've, I've, you know, in all of my years working on elections, I've never seen, I've never seen popularity and conversion rates like this. Um, what, so, why do you suppose you know, that is? Well, I mean, it's pretty simple. When you break down the story, right, there's 
you know, 17,000 homeless children in the city of Chicago. We're here to try to create a dedicated funding stream to build housing and to provide services. We're going to do that by decreasing taxes for people buying regular houses and increasing it for people buying multi-million dollar homes and corporate real estate. It's like pretty, you know, a majority, a majority of people, 93% of home buyers are going to experience a tax cut by this. And so we're just saying the rich should pay their fair share so that children can come in from the cold. It's and it's not just children. We're talking Chicago. about the homeless encampments all over the place, 60,000 homeless people and a homeless problem that's gotten worse with the migrant crisis and will that's right. I mean, I think particularly at I think particularly at a time like this when the temperatures are just so so cold, I, you know, um, folks are thinking about you know what it would be like to be unhoused. Um, both like obviously, as you said, um, you know, in encampments and outside and in shelters, but also you know that definition of homelessness includes people who are living doubled up. You know, I was talking to someone yesterday who's been a longtime leader in the campaign who was, um, they were kicked out of their home when they were a teenager for coming out as queer and spent the last two years of high school moving between shelters, friends' homes. You know, this is an expansive definition and housing insecurity and the cost of housing, it affects an overwhelming majority of Chicagoans, um, both people who are living in shelters on the streets, people who are living doubled up or experiencing housing insecurity, experiencing being evicted. Um, and like I said, also with the tax cut, for majority of first-time home buyers, this is ultimately making homeownership more affordable for more folks as well. All right, so you're banging on my door. Give me the quick elevator pitch. Your most convincing and quickest argument for why I should go to the polls and support this. Knock, knock, knock. Hi, Fran. My name is Emma, and I'm with a coalition called Bring Chicago Home. We're talking to folks today about a question on our upcoming ballot in March that would dedicate funding for affordable housing and to address homelessness. This funding would come from a one-time real estate transfer tax on properties bought for over a million. And it's also going to reduce the one-time tax on the overwhelming majority of properties bought and sold, like most folks buying a home. Will you support this important measure to expand access to housing by voting yes on March 19th? Okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate and say, well, tax. I'm not voting for any tax. And you say what? Any word well, tax? I certainly, I'm, not, I'm not going near it. Well, unlike a property tax, this is a one-time tax that happens when you sell a property. And again, it only increases the rates on people buying properties, either multi-million dollar mansions or big downtown developments that sell for hundreds of millions of dollars. Are you planning to buy a multi-million dollar uh, six unit anytime soon? No? I can't afford it. Okay. Well, then it, well, then it doesn't affect you. Okay. <laughs> it's actually, and it actually will uh, decrease your taxes when you go to buy a home as long as that home is under a million dollars. So unless, But again, really, at the um, end of the day, this is about the rich paying their fair share. Uh, to fund housing and homelessness in our city. So unless I'm cooking dinner and just slam the door right in your face, you think you have a good shot at making this argument? I mean, that's certainly what our data in the doors says so far in terms of folk, how folks are breaking our way. You've done polling. How extensive? And what does it show? Well, 
I am not going to reveal our polling right now on the air with you. You said 80%. Um, but you said 80%. 80% well, of who and what? 80%, the 80% is based on our folks, our contact rate at the doors. So of the people we okay. talk to, 80% of them come away in support of the initiative. But you're not telling me what polling you've done and what those numbers are. That's right. I got to keep, keep some secrets close to my chest. Why? Um, That's the whole point of you being here. <laughs> I'm, giving you, <laughs> I'm giving you a hard time. I talked to Chicago Teachers Union President Stacey Davis Gates about the Bring Chicago Home referendum, and here's what she said. She said, quote, with Emma Tai helming this effort, I am absolutely convinced this will be a winning campaign. Emma Tai is one of the most brilliant strategists working in and around progressive politics. I trust her brilliance and her instincts. She's done a tremendous job putting together some good infrastructure to get us to where we are now. She's got a hot hand. She's on a roll. That's high praise, and it's also high pressure on you to deliver. How do you feel about that, and do you have any doubt you will be able to deliver? I mean... It's, yeah, I'm very, very honored to hear that coming from someone who I respect so much. I, um, oh, she left, she left me speechless. Okay. Um, I guess what I would say is that I feel a tremendous amount of pressure on this campaign as I do with any campaign that I work on because the stakes are so high you know, this is this is my job, but it is other people's lives. And I think all of us who do the kind of work that I do, but the you know, the whole team that is working on this campaign do have a real responsibility um, to get it right and to deliver on the things that will make people's lives better. Because for so long, the political class in the city has not and has treated folks like that as expendable as like sources to pay sort of fines and fees and regressive taxes and cheap labor and you know that's not right and that's the reason that i do this work and it's what motivates this campaign and what motivates the team to win it's not just you know it's not a feather in our cap it has to do with what kind of city we live in and whether that is a city that is just and fair for its people when I asked Stacy how much money the CTU plans to contribute to the effort to bring Chicago home, she said, quote, whatever the House of Delegates tells me I can spend, what will you ask of that union that is affiliated with United Working Families? Um, I will ask for, um, I mean, I'm asking everybody for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, I'm not going to be specific about the number because obviously those are sensitive conversations, but this is, you know, this is a real campaign up against some real opponents um, who have a vested interest in not paying their fair share in taxes and in defunding the public sector. Um, and so if we're serious about winning, which I think we all are, that requires, you know, real financial investment, real people power. And so what is the total amount of money that you think you need to spend to get this over the finish line? I will say million. I will say millions. 
How many millions? I think it depends. You know, it, well, I think, you know, it's, as always, it's contingent. You know, it depends if they're, if our opponents come in with a super PAC. It's which they have. Definitely yes, they more. have created. They have created a 501c4, which is a special interest PAC that does not have to uh, disclose its donors. It can, but it may not, to oppose this. So what does that tell you about how much money you're going to have to spend? I will once again say we are anticipating spending millions, raising and spending millions to win. Mayor Johnson has already done his share of political heavy lifting by convincing the city council to put this binding referendum on the ballot. What more do you want and need him to do? Will you ask him to do radio and television and internet commercials for you? Uh, will you ask him to record robocalls? What more do you want from him? I mean, I want, part of what makes me good at this, Fran, is that I want everything from everyone. So yes, I would say that all of the, everything is on the table with all of our stakeholders and anyone who talks to you about how I run campaigns know that I am always asking, always asking for everything. And is he going to do that for you? Has he agreed? Oh, that's a question for him. Well, you're at, you're asking for sure. That's right. Right. And, and he's, it's, he's got a lot on the line here too. I mean, he has a predecessor who made this promise and didn't deliver and lost her whatever progressive base she once had that put her in office, Lori Lightfoot. And so he's not going to make that mistake. He's got to deliver this because otherwise it'll be like blood in the water too. It'll look like a sign of weakness for him. Well, I think that we already saw, you know, we saw the winds change pretty quickly when Lori Lightfoot was elected. And I don't think that anyone would say the same of Brandon Johnson. Um, you know, the way in which this became an immediate priority, I think, is a testament to, you know, his roots, his rootedness and his sense of accountability um, to and partnership with um, and like, you know, the folks whose visions and dreams he represents in that office. You know, this is a mayor um, who has firsthand experience with a family member dying unhoused. Um, struggling with addiction and mental health issues. So I think that the fact that it's on the ballot now is an expression. I read it as an expression of his commitment to bringing this home. And so you think he you will know, again, it's not on just... the on the request for him to be the face of this, to do commercials, whether it's TV, radio, internet, social media, whatever. He'll do whatever it is you need him to do to bring this home. Well, yeah, and I don't want to speak for him or for his political operation. And I, you know, again, there's a wide range of folks who are backing this. This is a widely popular measure and we're planning to literally have a sheet right now of all of the people who I have asked um, to participate, to come in as validators in our paid media. And it is a wide range of folks. You know, you have faith leaders, you have service providers, you have teachers and union members. So um, I think that it's a mistake to think about this as the effort. This is not just on my shoulders. This is not just on Mayor Johnson's shoulders. 
but this is a collective effort by the many, many thousands of us um, who will benefit from a measure that reduces housing instability and increases affordable housing in the city. Now, real estate interests and business groups have filed a lawsuit seeking to get this referendum thrown off the ballot. They call it a classic example of log rolling. That is combining a politically unpopular proposal with a more popular one to sugarcoat and therefore convince voters to swallow a bitter pill. In this case, the mayor lowers the tax on sales and transactions below a million dollars and raises it for those over a million and even more for a million and a half. And that is an example of an illegal thing they say called log rolling. What do you say to that? I mean, you know, I am not, um, I guess I would just say that I read the whole lawsuit tactic as part of the general right-wing playbook that happens when you know that the population and popular support is not with you. So you take it to, so you take it to the courts, right? This is exactly what the Republican and the right wing has done with the Supreme court over the past decades um, is try to adjudicate American policy via the Supreme court, the, you know, body of nine people who are appointed for life. Obviously, it's a little bit different in Cook County, but I just think that there are parallels in terms of this is a tactic that is being used by very wealthy real estate interests who would rather spend however much they're going to spend on legal fees to defeat a policy that would literally house children um, instead of just paying their fair share in in taxes. Now, the substantive argument they make is that while some may benefit from reduced taxes, uh, they will face higher property taxes annually as downtown values decline. They, they point to the burdens on commercial office buildings since the pandemic and the stay-at-home, uh, work-from-home phenomenon, the post-pandemic era with less than half of the workers returning to their offices, the highest vacancy rate in 75 years, enough unoccupied downtown office space, they claim, to fill 16 Willis Towers, experts predicting that downtown office buildings could lose up to half their value, and that when that happens, the property tax burden will shift to homeowners and then trickle down to renters. What do you say to that? I mean, I just think it's a bad faith. It's a bad faith argument being made by multinational real estate corporations and giant corporate landlords who just don't want to pay taxes. You know, there's, this is a little bit of a diversion, but there's, you know, all this very interesting research about how other cities facing sort of downturns in the corporate real estate market have started turning those vacant properties, ding, 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 into housing, (laughs) into residential housing. Like there are lots of things that you can do with vacant real estate. that never gets mentioned when this argument is being made. There's also plenty of other cities around the country that have a higher marginal, um, higher like highest marginal tax rate on well on multi-million dollar properties, higher than what is even being proposed for Chicago. So, for example, Seattle, New York City is just like it's almost the same, but they have a million dollar. They have an additional sort of like residential multi-million dollar tax that bumps it up into a higher tax bracket. Um, and like no one is saying 
you know, you know where, <laughs> you know where you really, you know, you know where housing prices have really declined and there's a real slowdown in the real estate market is Seattle and New York City. Like it's just not true, and it's a bad faith ar- argument being made by very wealthy corporate interests that don't want to pay their fair share in taxes. Does a low turnout work in your favor? You've already proven you have the ability to control an election with a low turnout in the mayoral race. You know how to get your voters to the polls, even if other people don't show up. Does that help you to have a low turnout? I mean, high turnout or low turnout, like the plan is always to win anyway. Um, And so I think that to your point, like there's always, there's always a path um, and this is just what the, the conditions are, what they are. You know, we're running it in this particular election year. And so we just have to figure out the path to win under those conditions. Billionaire Ken Griffin managed to defeat the graduated income tax in a battle of billionaires with Governor J.B. Pritzker that cost each of them in excess of $50 million. Griffin did it by portraying the graduated income tax as carte blanche for the biggest tax increase in history and tying it to the federal corruption scandal swirling around now indicted former House Speaker Mike Madigan. Is there any parallel to that, to this fight? Well, I think the interesting piece of the story around the Fair Tax Amendment in 2020 is that it passed in Chicago 71 to 29. So, yes, even though there was a tremendous amount of spending on both sides, I think the evidence is substantial that in Chicago, um, there is broad-based popularity for progressive economic policies that ask the rich to pay their fair share. How do you think Mayor Brandon Johnson is doing after roughly eight months in office? Alderman Jeanette Taylor, the mayor's handpicked education chair, leveled some very harsh criticism at Johnson recently. She told uh, podcaster Ben Jarofsky, we should not be on the fifth floor, and I'm speaking from my whole heart. We were not ready because we haven't been in government long enough to know how government really works. I felt like we are not ready, and it's showing out in the wash. I don't got to say it. People see it. We're pretending like we now have the power. Let us show how it's supposed to be done. And we look real stupid right now, she said. What did you make of that? And what's it going to take to get Jeanette Taylor to think otherwise? Uh, you know, I think <laughs> I think that's a great question for Jeanette Taylor. And maybe you could have her on. I feel like that would be like a very uh, entertaining episode. Um, I mean, look. I'll just say right now, I am so proud and honored to be working on the Bring Chicago Home campaign that is a culmination of years and years of work on the ground by people directly impacted who have experienced homelessness and being unhoused and who Mayor Johnson kept his promise to. That matters. You know, he he kept his promise. We're going up on the ballot. I think we're going to win and then we are going to go into a legislative phase around a revenue and spending ordinance to create a dedicated funding stream for affordable housing and homelessness services. Um, and that, that is a huge, that is a huge accomplishment that would not have been possible without the election of Brandon Johnson and his keeping his promises on this issue. How do you think he's doing handling the migrant crisis, which has dominated that first eight months? I mean, I think that the migrant crisis, I'll say this about the migrant crisis, which is that it is 
Um, I think that what has gotten lost in the coverage of it is that this, you know, who who benefits from the situation we're in? Because I look around and I think who's benefiting is the Republicans. It's Donald Trump. It's the Texas governor. And so um, it is incumbent upon us. And frankly, I think it is incumbent upon the federal government to send resources to help tell a different story um, about what is the role of the United States. The reason there are so many Venezuelans in the city of Chicago is because the Republicans have imposed brutal sanctions that make it impossible for people to live. Um, And that is, it's not right for any one city in this country to basically be running a federal refugee camp that is that is responsible for and accountable for the crisis created by Republicans in Congress. So it's obviously a bad situation. Um, but again, I think that we have to tell, it is incumbent upon all of us to tell a story about who benefits from this, from what is happening here um, and who is responsible, um, who benefits and who is responsible. The shot spotter contract is about to expire. The mayor's handpicked police superintendent, Larry Snelling, is a huge proponent of that technology. The mayor campaigned against it, vowed to cancel it. That puts the mayor in a political box. He either deprives his new superintendent of what Snelling believes is an important crime-fighting tool, or he breaks a major campaign promise and disappoints his progressive supporters. What will and should he do? You know, I mean, honest with you, Fran, I'm not prepared to speak on the status of the shot spotter contract. I'm really very focused on bring Chicago home and what it's going to take to win this campaign to house people. Okay. Well, I wish you the very best of luck. Uh, You have to deliver for Stacey Davis Gates, who thinks so very highly of you, and for Brandon Johnson, whose political prestige is also on the line on this. So best of luck to you. Well, and we will I'm sorry, Fran, can I say, can I say one, can I correct that real quickly? Is sure, that, I actually think I have to deliver for the 68,000 folks in Chicago who are homeless. That's who I have to deliver to and that's who I'm accountable to. So if we could right. correct that, I'd appreciate okay. it. Thank you. All right. All right. I stand corrected. Okay. Emma Ty, thanks so much for joining us and we will see you all next week. 